Hey there, welcome to our live AMA about product marketing in uh, B2B SaaS. And today we'll focus on the role uh, product marketing plays in pre-product market fit product. So today we're joined by John McKeeran, product marketing lead at Cassian and Ashley Chen, head of growth and product marketing at UserSnap. Super happy to see you guys here. And maybe we can start with like longer introductions to you and the products that you're working on. So John, since you're the external guest, <laughs> well, uh, let's start with you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to go through a few questions. So yeah, as, uh, as I said, my name is John, I'm, I'm Irish. So uh, this is a truly global global meeting. I know we're all scattered around the world in different time zones and I'm in Sydney, even though I'm Irish. I came over to Atlassian about four years ago by acquisition and I've been working with Jira Product Discovery, which is uh, one of our newest products out of Atlassian for about 18 months. And prior to Atlassian, I was in a bunch of startups. So I'm sort of coming at this from two different angles, launching startups from scratch and doing it within an org. So it'd be interesting to dig into that a little bit. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Ashley? Okay. Hi, I'm Ashley and I'm Head of Growth at UserSnap. I'm Taiwanese living in Europe, so again, a very uh, across-the-world situation. <laughs> and I say Europe because I've been living in a few different countries for the past few years. Uh, and at UserSnap, so for the past four, almost five years, I've been at UserSnap and it's been a really exciting time. So UserSnap is a user feedback platform for product managers, product teams to be listening and collaborating on user feedback. It did go to, through like a really exciting transition uh, for the past four or five years, starting with a more kind of simple bug reporting tool and then expanding some features into CX, microservice, and now really finding the product market fit. So also very excited to talk about this journey. And I've been at a few bigger companies in the past, uh, although also at bigger companies, there's, like John said, um, new teams and new products pivoting. So for example, when I was at uh, Microsoft, I was in the Office 365 um, business unit and I was working on the um, transition from um, on-premise and licenses to cloud and subscription. Okay, thank you so much for the introduction. And uh, I'm Anna, uh, Head of Growth at SaaS Group, half Russian, half Ukrainian, living in Vietnam. So <laughs> that's, uh, you know, we, we truly got quite a story going on here. So yeah, I mean, uh, let's get let's get to it. We've got quite a few questions for you guys, and it will be really interesting to dig in. And first, as uh, Dear Product Discovery is newly launched and uh, UserSnap has been pivoting to new market category in the past couple of years. So uh, what role does product marketing play in, in a new or pre-product market fit product? John, let, let's go with you again. Yeah, yeah. So this is one of those that I was like, I was thinking through this question, and I was, you know, you've got your recency bias from from launching a product in Atlassian, and really, I think there's there's two different answers here, and I'll sort of go back to my startup phase and then move into the more recent stuff with Atlassian because I think it makes a bit of sense. There was, sure. uh, I don't know if you know Lenny Richinsky, who's US has great newsletter and podcast. Yeah, he's, he's superb. And he shared this thing recently where he showed the top 10 hires, or sorry, the first 10 hires in 
um, B2B SaaS companies. And I was like, oh, okay, wow, let's see where product marketing is. And it was like, nothing, there's hardly any marketers there at all. And I was like, that's, yeah, that's strange. It seems like you'd have someone in there earlier. And I think it just comes down to the nuances really. It's more like the titles in many ways. So going back like six years ago now, was probably the last startup I was in, um, worked for a place called Already Built. I came in and we were seeking product market fit. Uh, not to ruin the ending here, but we never found it. I think the role that we played in there was a jack of all trades. It, you know, I could come in and I could do this beautiful positioning and have a lovely website. And of course, you've got to do all of that stuff, talk to customers. But the fact is, you've got to hack and you've got to just go through and you know take sales calls. You've got to go and you build the partnerships. Um, you've got to go in and you've got to fix a bug. You've got to do the email marketing. You've got to do anything and everything to just try to find that first sale and say, okay, at least that's a sign that we're you know getting closer to product market fit. And that that was always the challenge. It was, you know, you just have to hack and hack and hack and eventually sort of get where you need to be. I think in Atlassian, it's a little bit different. So I came into Jira product discovery when it had just moved from alpha to beta. And it was sort of at that phase as well. We were looking for product market fits. And although it's completely different, you know, you're in this big organization and you've got all of the support from all these teams and you've got the funding and everything, it's still kind of the same to start with, you've got to get your distribution sorted first and foremost. If you don't have that, and you know, again, you can spend a lot of time sort of doing, you know, all, all the the nice, pretty stuff. But if you can't prove that you actually have a distribution channel, no matter how good your product is, it's probably going to fail. So that was the first thing that I had to sort of go and do. And you work very, very closely with the product team, and you go through and you try to find these sustainable channels that you could do it. And really, I think. What makes it quite difficult is you have these different flight levels as well, as I call them. So you sort of have to, you know, jump into, you'd be in a meeting where you're updating the founders and saying, you know, this is where we're at. And then you get out of that meeting and you're like writing email copy for something that's due in like 10 minutes and you're getting deep into the execution mode. Um, so I, I think one of the sort of key skills, I think that I learned, um, as I was launching the Jira product discovery in Alaska, and I actually spoke at PNM Alliance a few weeks ago in Sydney about this, was storytelling internally. So, you know, obviously we all know the importance of storytelling externally and making sure everybody understands what your brand is and what the product is. But in an enterprise, if you haven't yet found product market fit, really one of the key things you need to do is to get patience and to get buy-in and to get alignment from people at all levels so from ceo down to you know customer support to sales like they all need to understand exactly what your uh, long-term vision is um, and you can try to keep them on that journey as you go so um, i think that aside from distribution i think internal storytelling in the bigger organization is probably one of the key skills Okay, thank you so much. So, Ashley, what's your take on it uh, in, in in a smaller setting? Um, so, for this, I also have a um, like kind of two sides to it. One is more of a candid answer, um, and one is more of like a, a casual but a principle uh, type of answer. And I'll start with my candid answer because maybe that's a bit more um, boring to go through. <laughs> uh, so I think the, the role of product marketer um, here, pre-product market fit, is to, like John said, to, um, to reach product market fit. And, um, and I think the key word over here is reach. That's why I kind of built a, 
um, almost like a framework, if you can say, uh, around it. So the five steps around um, reaching product market fit and breaking down the word reach. So starting with the first letter R, R would be for research. So really rigorously doing the research around your users, around the market as well, and then uh, starting a bit maybe broad, but then going down to what exactly um, are people um, choosing your tool for. And then moving on to E, so E will be for empathy. I think uh, what a product marketer really needs to do is to build that kind of connection and understand why is it so uh, frustrating to be in this situation now and what are they looking for um, as their ideal um, situation. And then A for advocate. So really taking that and advocating it, um, like John said, to, um, to your team, to the product team, but also to the marketing team um, so that the marketing team can build and can bridge the kind of the know-how because sometimes it's not just, okay, we need a product solution. You also need a know-how around it to uh, really be able to fulfill and um, make it work. And then C is for creativity. So being creative with the ideas as well, especially pre-product market fit, that means there's no existing solution that has a really um, great uh, outcome yet. So being creative with ideas and again, also about marketing needs to be creative too, to reach and uh, distribute in the right way. And then lastly, H for hypothesis. Uh, so building hypothesis and then experimenting with that and uh, validating if you have product market fit or not, or pivoting to see if there's another way and then just um, really having hypothesis and validating that. But as a principle, I think um, what a product marketer is doing is to be asking questions. And I think this um, resonates well with what John was um, talking about, especially towards the end, like asking questions and um, asking questions on the business side as well as the user side uh, to see if this is really delivering value, if this is really needed, if this is the right way. It can be a bit scrappy sometimes, um, but yeah, having that mindset that we're asking right questions and adapting to changes. I think there's one thing as well, you know, the fact is you don't always find product market fit and that's the, the cruel truth. And that was the case in the startup that I was in. And I think that's kind of one of the underrated skills as well as the ability to sort of see it and call it, you know, it's like, okay, we, there's only so far that you can push this rock up a hill. Um, and I, I think sometimes it's like that in itself is kind of an important skill to have because startups fail as we know it's a hard slog mm. yeah this the soft yeah. skill of like courage <laughs> and asking questions and yeah really challenging that i think it's it's a skill itself yeah yeah okay thank you thank you for telling us about that there is another question in your products in in your work what was the persona or user research process like and how these similar or different from the insights that the product managers need? John, want to take that one first? Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it's all that different. So, I mean, during product discovery, the product that we launched, I probably, what a marketer I am, I didn't even say what it does, but it's essentially a prioritization and road mapping tool. So you gather all of your product ideas in this one place, and then all of the connected insights that go with those, those ideas as well. So part of that means you can use like a Chrome extension and no matter where you are, you might be doing like some customer research or you might be someone from sales, whatever it is, and they can add an insight into the Jira product discovery project. So 
that's just a little bit of background to explain how it works with us. We have a shared geoproduct discovery project with our product team. And in there we have ideas. And again, in the early phase, there wasn't, you know, now it's, it's a bit cleaner. There's a product board and there's a product board and there's a marketing board as well. But back in uh, the earlier days, it was all sort of mixed up in one. So we would go through, we'd all spend a lot of time talking to customers, doing competitive research, you know, everything that you can do. And we would all just go in and add insights. And for me, it was equally valuable regardless. And even sometimes if you're sort of looking at it and you're going, well, you know, this one's talking about scale or performance issues. That's not particularly interesting to me as a marketer. But in fact, it is. That's kind of the stuff that we are blind to a lot of the time. And they're the headaches that customers have that maybe don't show up a lot of the time. So for me, I think that was, you know, it wasn't that different. I think the persona and user research, that was a little bit different. So when we built your product discovery, we did it with what we call lighthouse users. This is something that the head of products um, started doing. And that's building for 10 users first and just saying, can we meet their needs? Can we delight them first? And once we sort of gotten to that point, then we'll go and we'll try to do that for a hundred people. And once we've done it for a hundred, we do it for a thousand. And really what that meant was those first 10 customers, those lighthouse customers, we would talk to them all the time, like literally all the time. We would put the, the worst prototypes in front of them and we would put the finished product in front of them. And we felt like we weren't meeting their needs. We're like, we're really not doing, uh, or not doing anything, not doing something particularly well here. I think the only other, like the element we came in, we were building a product that we were entering like a mature market. You know, there's other products out there that can do similar jobs for product managers and I think the difference was when we went out and we started speaking to customers, we didn't want to just accept the status quo and sort of say, okay, we'll just be another competitor, just like X, Y, and Z. You know, we wanted to use the unique advantage that we had of already having developers working in Jira software. So we had to position that and talk to customers in a different way and make sure they are already using Jira software and their problems be very different from people who are using like an isolated tool. So both product and PMM, we would spend a lot of time talking to these customers, going back and forth and just seeing um, exactly how they're using it. And yeah, as I said, we would go through these insights together. We'd be on Slack all day, just sharing it back and forth, jumping on calls, talking it through. And I think we, we always shared the same common goals. So it always helped in the end. All right, that's wonderful. Ashley, what do you do in user staff? I want to ask a question first <laughs> to sure. John. I'm very curious about, uh, so the 10 users, this concept, how did you pick the 10 users? Yeah, it's a good question. So this is something I've stolen. This is, I'd love to steal the credit from Tongi, the head of product, but this is something, I'm not sure if he stole it from someone, but anyway, he chose these customers very specifically based on criteria that he sets. So. At the time, I, I can't. I think they had to be a certain size. Uh, they had to have certain problems. They weren't using another product beforehand. They were using Jira software. So basically, he had an idea of you know a vision for where the product would be, and he chose these ten customers based off those criteria. And recently, I've been doing the same on the marketing side. I just I think it's just a great idea. So for example, we're running a bunch of customer research, and everybody's like, "Yeah, this is great. I love the tool, and I definitely want to roll it out." But they were the champion for the product and they were like, you know, help me out, you know, can you come in and present to the team and show them the value and show them how to use the product? I'm like, I can, but it's, you know, that's not going to scale. So we're like, okay, let's start a champion program where I give you all of the resources that you need. And 
again, I, I could have done that blindly. We could have done that in isolation and the team could just get together and, you know, say, well, what they need is a deck and what they need is a template to help them get started and maybe a recorded webinar, whatever it might be. And instead, what I did was I chose five customers in my case. Uh, I felt like that would be enough for this one. And I put it in their hands. I was like, okay, here's the alpha version of my champion pack. And uh, what happened was they came back and they were like, this is awful. This is, this makes me sick in my mouth. And I was like, okay, it's, you know, nobody wants to hear that, but I'm delighted that I heard that with this, you know, very skeletal uh, champion pack. And they gave me really clear feedback that was consistent across all five about where they actually needed the help. And for me, it was the same thing. I chose like criteria that I wanted this to be across scale ups, you know, anybody sort of going from size 50 to 500 customers that it felt like they were the ones who were struggling for time to, to actually champion the product so that they were my lighthouse customers. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thank you. So Ashley, what, do you want me to repeat the question? That would be great. Okay. Uh, so what was the persona or user research process like for you and how are they similar or different from the insights that the product managers need? Yeah, I have to agree. It's quite similar with the product managers. And I think that is um, for itself something to to acknowledge that this is really a teamwork and um, everyone needs to be on the same page to be able to move forward. Um, the user research, um, I think first you we started out also like going quite broad. There's no specific persona, but as they as we got more users, as we got more traction, we can really analyze and then find patterns. So then we also focused on uh, who cares a lot. So this is from April Danford. Um, but uh, similarly to what John and Tanguy were doing to really narrow it down to like who um, are the people that it would, it would change their world, let's say, <laughs> and would really uh, um, be using this to their full advantage. And I think for product marketers, we also be looking a bit on the language side and also how people consume content, how they build knowledge and uh, have that knowledge enough to process the, the actual product. This is something um, maybe a bit different to the product manager because it's also about the experience before and after the product. Okay. Yeah, thank you. All right. Since we started talking about product managers, we cannot not uh, talk about them because you uh, have to work closely together. So how do product manager and product marketer collaborate and what goals are shared? John? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the secret sauce. And uh, I think if this goes wrong, a lot of things start going wrong. And I've seen good, I've seen bad. Um, I think the answer also depends a little bit on the phase you know, where you're at, if it's in those early phases that we were talking about a little bit earlier on about pre-product -mar pre market fit, that's hard to say, uh, or around that phase, it's, it's quite like shoulder to shoulder and the lines are a little bit blurrier between the two roles, which funnily enough, actually, I'm sure many people would have seen Brian Chesky from Airbnb in the last two weeks, again, Lenny's podcast, he was on there talking about how in Airbnb, they actually combine the roles and so have PM and PMM are, are one beautiful bunch of acronyms. Um, and I can very much see the point and see the, the value of doing that in those early phases, because at that stage, it is quite blurry, you know, like the, the head of product would be coming up with GTM ideas and, you know, like strategy and do we, you know, work with, you know, product schools or whatever it might be. 
Uh, and I'd be in the products, like hacking together cross-flow experiments with other growth teams and just sort of doing anything that you can. And I think in the later phases, then you have, you know, once you've actually proven PMF and once you start growing and if you're growing as fast as, as your product discovery is, which is you know, a champagne problem, you really have to learn how to scale those functions out. You know, you got to say, all right, it's no longer just a PM and a PMM. It's now two teams with several streams and you got to sort of, try to figure out how do you actually make that work? You know, how do all of those streams come together and make sure it all ladders up to a common goal? Um, and there's always headaches, no matter how good you are, this it's, you're always going to slow down before you can go faster. I think one other note on the collaboration as well, because as you know, we're, we're in every continent right now. Um, and my product team is in Europe, I'm in Australia. So. That is that is a big diff, that's a big uh, challenge as well. I did work from Europe for a few months in those earlier days, but you know when you're working remotely and there's zero business hours overlap, you really have to rely on the tools that you have out there. So we use Loom a lot. I think that's when it's at its best is when you're sharing Loom updates, which Atlassian, funnily enough, acquired recently. And you know again, Slack and scheduled messages. It's never going to be as good as it is in the same time zone and ideally even in person, but that certainly helps. And then I think the only the last point I didn't really touch on is the goals. So we're, we're lucky that we have just a common shared goal for Geo product discovery. So both me and, and my team and the product team, we all sort of ladder up to the same goal. So again, when we're going through our quarterly planning, um, you know, we try to make that as collaborative as we can. So we're going through and trying to complement each other's plans rather than do it in isolation. I think that's really key as well. There's, this is a complete segue, but I'll go with it anyway. Looking to uh, a colleague and they said that they go through with their product squad and the marketing squad, they get a, a mirror board and they put the goal or the goals in the middle. And then they put all of the projects and the things they're working on. And they're like, okay, drag it into the goal as long as it's still connecting to the goal. and if it's not, then you have to sort of ask yourself the question. It's like, am I working on the right thing? And I thought that was a really good exercise to go through. I'm going to start doing the same with my own team. Oh, that's a cool trick. Okay. Uh, Ashley, how does it work for, for UserSnap? Um, so I think setting goals, this is really important because then you have this common ground that you're all playing at and you're really also helping each other to, uh, to reach that goal. So setting goals and being a bit more specific about like the goals or metrics that uh, you're measuring from like activation to retention, breadth and depth of adoption as well, time to value. And so we have this meeting that is a monthly meeting where we, where we look at these metrics, but also ask questions to each other and the essence. So I like how my colleague, uh, she actually puts it that we are leaning on each other. And is is a really, uh, I think, a good way to or uh, analogy for it because um, it is two teams um, doing a bit different things, but then also working together, and then just leaning on each other, being able to support each other, even give each other some challenges and some ideas, and then um, being able to move forward. And because improving should always be like on the table, and that's what we're trying to do. And yeah, so we have a monthly meeting at UserSnap for this and kind of assessing and then also just being very collaborative. Yeah. Okay. Great. So we talked a little bit about the, the, the product in product marketing and uh, maybe we should move on to the marketing in product marketing. And since uh, you two are coming from uh, two companies of very different sizes and structures, it would be interesting to, to hear some examples. 
uh, how do product marketers and the marketing mothership work together on the initial launch to long-term growth? John? This was maybe the biggest surprise for me. I've launched lots of products. I've launched products in startups and I've launched my own um, businesses. And you think that's hard and it is, of course, it's exhausting and you wrestle it to life, kicking and screaming. Um, and I thought coming into a big org, I'd be like, okay, this is great. I've got all the support. As you said, the marketing mothership is there. You've got your, you know, your customer lifecycle, you've got your creative team, your brand team, your paid teams, SEO teams. Awesome. But the reality is, you know, a company, a big company is set up to serve the existing products. And you can see it, you know, I came into it last year via an acquisition and it took, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 months before it was really sort of flowing and forming. And in hindsight, looking back with your product discovery, it was kind of the same thing as well. So we, you know, we had to come in and you have to sort of go and talk to all these stakeholders um, and, you know, again, sell them both on the long-term vision and how this is going to be a part of the Atlassian suite and start telling that story, but also get really down and deep into the, the details and say, hey, email team, I need to get this email out for a turbo boost in the next three weeks. And it can be pretty challenging. Again, you sort of, again, it comes back to that flight levels. You know, how do you deal with so many different stakeholders at such different levels when you are also the player coach you actually have to do the work you know there's like you have to run a case study and you have to update the website or whatever else it is and really again i mean this is a pretty similar answer to what i had given before but it's that idea of storytelling was was absolutely key for me here and i feel like i, I sound like a fanboy here with lenny richinski but i stole yet another one of his uh, frameworks he has uh, what he calls a race car growth framework uh, I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of it. I adopted that for our launch in geoproduct discovery to the point where everybody in Alaskan is just sick of it and probably sick of me. But what it was, was basically just a metaphor to help explain what we were trying to do at a long term, you know, like trying to build this renewable source of signups, trying to build out the practices to up level the craft of product management while also doing turbo boosts like emails and so forth. And once I sort of shifted from it being, you know, what I, what I suppose random acts of collaboration uh, to something that was more cohesive and wrapped around like a brand or a metaphor, it all became a lot easier. And I think all of the teams that you had to deal with, they felt less like cogs in a machine and it felt less like me moaning and complaining and more like this uh, train that we were all on together that was going to a really exciting place. So I feel like the product marketer is uh, internal sales rep, <laughs> you're selling the selling whether it's the product or selling the story to the rest of the marketing team and to your um, to your colleagues and making sure that the messaging and the the material that we create is really precise. And uh, actually, I want to share a mistake that I made at UserSnap. Um, so. UserSnap is a, is a um, relatively small team, like around 20 people. And with smaller teams, I think um, we're very transparent. I think most smaller teams would be this way. So it's probably uh, possibly other people will also make this mistake as well. So the mistake that I made was that I thought because everything's so transparent and uh, we're a small group, we already all know about what's going on. Every person should know about what the product is doing, what this new update is about, um, how it works and why we did this. So um, I wasn't that hands-on with content creation and some of the other things. 
And and after realizing this, of course, I changed to be more more involved in each of the content creation and also like、um, with events to really make sure that there is that connection with the whether it's the content or the event to what the value of the product is, so that we're all、uh, centered around one、um, value that we are. Aligned on, and that we want to be clear that our customers, our audience, can understand it. And I think this really helped to also increase the time to value for content, for for even I would say like ads and and demos even. So I think this is what in smaller setups you also need to be doing this. And then in the long term, I think just really making sure that all the content, if it needs to be updated,、um, as you're the person that's closer or in the marketing closer to the product, to make sure that it's getting updated, is sometimes even getting removed if necessary. I think that's like that really echoes a lot of my experience as well, and it's it's a mistake, but you know I'm willing to forgive myself because it's it's not dissimilar from. Product, because again, you're sort of in a race. You know, you're always in a race. You need to get it out the door. You need to start making some money. You need to, you know, see and prove. The only, like, the real proof for product market fit is when someone takes their credit card out and actually pays for the thing. And I think by the time we had launched your product discovery,、um, essentially what I had was tech debt, like the the marketing equivalent of tech debt. You know, like we'd been so frantic getting all of these essentials done. And then we launched it, and we we're like, like taking a taking a little, you know, seat back and、um, exhaling for a second. And you sort of look at the messaging on across enablement sections and the websites and various different places, and they had like different taglines here and there. And then the in product had something completely different with a different logo. I was like, oh god, I, this is like. And, and of course, that's that's when it's in the spotlight, and everybody's looking at it as well. And it's yeah, it, it looks terrible. But you know, it, sometimes you just have to do the tech debt after. Okay, thank you for your answers. We actually have a new question from the audience.、Uh, when should you focus on building a scalable product, tech-wise? John, what's your take on this? When should you focus on building a scalable product, tech-wise? Tech-wise, yes. Should we ask for more, <laughs> for more details、yeah. to that question? Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. A bit more detail on that one. I can. I can All right. So, Bagdan,、uh, if you, yeah, if you can add a little bit to that question, we would be super happy. And、uh, for now, we'll just ask、uh, the next one that we have here. What was your favorite part about the latest product launch you worked on? Oh, that's exciting. So, John, what was it for you? I think probably two parts. Yeah, two parts. I think.、Um, <laughs> I think the first one was the first dollar we made, the first sale that we made. It was like someone buying one seat and like ten dollars, and you know it's not something to report to the board just yet. But it was just like it was a moment for us because you you do, you know, you launch the thing and you put it out there and you you put your best foot forward, but you you just there's nothing you can do until someone actually takes the credit card out, and and that was a lovely moment for the team. You know, really validated all the work that we've done, all those late hours, all of those hard work. All of the tech debt that had、uh, accumulated—that、uh, was a really nice moment for us. You know, more so than the actual launch, where you're just too exhausted really to celebrate.、Uh, but I, I think as well, it was in those earliest days where you're still trying to figure it out when it didn't quite have product market fit, and when you're testing out all these distribution channels, and you're running A/B tests here, and you're trying emails there, and you're seeing if paid ads will work, and you're working with these. 
growth product manager is going through and um, like testing out different doorways. And you know, we, we had this very careful approach to how we wanted to, I suppose, introduce Jira product discovery. We you know, didn't want to just do the lazy thing and say, hey, we've got a bunch of product managers that already use Jira, so we'll just send them a thousand emails until they get so sick of us they use it. But rather what we wanted to do was like create a two-way doorway between Jira software and Jira product discovery. So it's where your developers live, where your product managers live, and just add value. You know, there's it's a much better experience if you can have a link from the uncommitted work, you know, all of those ideas in Jira product discovery and all of the insights that come from like user staff and everywhere else and have a clean Jira software backlog that's not polluted with things that are never going to happen. And we knew if we could just do a little experiment in there and just prove that we could get, you know, X amount of signups, then we could start to get more resources. And it was hacky, you know, like you'd go through and you'd be pulling information from previous experiments that people had done over the years. And you'd be like buying a beer for an engineer to see if they could like do an hour's worth of work just to, to try to get one little experiment across the line. But it was fun, you know, it was really, really fun. It was really scrappy, really startup-y and the rewards were were there to see, you know, it was, I think by the time we had finished it, we had found a sustainable source of signups that wasn't just, you know, monetary driven. It was something that actually added value to the customer and added value to Jira software for that matter as well. Um, and that's something that we're building out even now, like just doubling down on that and tripling down on it. So I think they're probably the two highlights for me. That's fascinating. Uh, Ashley, what was it for you? I think what John said, buying a beer for the engineer, maybe that is the answer to how to clean the technical debt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that so... would require two beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a pack of beers. <laughs> so I always enjoy and find it very delightful to work on features that is highly requested. And, and so my, my kind of story on this is, is about Jira Product Discovery. But funny enough, Jira Product Discovery, this was never a feature that was requested. <laughs> I mean, it's too new. <laughs> However, we do have ton, a mountain of requests from our Jira users. And they are very specific. So very specific requests or issues or problems. And that makes it um, also very easy to, to kind of jump on them to, to solve it. But I think that can also lead you down to a feature black hole. And that was when we came across Jira Product Discovery's launch. And for me, it was like a moment of epitome because it connected all the dots, like so many of the features that, or so many of the uh, things that our users are trying to do, either with Jira or like with other tools, it can be done uh, more easily with Jira Product Discovery. So instead of, of trying to improve the Jira integration, I really advocated for let's do Jira Product Discovery, this integration instead. And I'm happy to say like after weeks of hard work, this integration is out now. And yeah, just really enjoy also like really focusing on the core problem and then not fixated on the solution so that when there is something new, something that you see that can be a new path, then you can jump on that. You can be creative with a solution. And I also enjoy really kind of like crafting the, this new approach and, and back up with the evidence, with the feature request and user feedback that we have got to build this, um, to build a marketing story. I think that is always really rewarding to be able to tie it back with what users need. 
Cool. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Well, we just, uh, I think we have time for a couple more questions. So most SaaS companies follow an agile and iterative approach, meaning after the product launch, there is still many improvements uh, to be looking forward to. So can you share a tip or a hack? We really like the word hack here. Can you share a hack on how you promote and communicate updates and new features? John, what's about you? How do you do that? Community is is probably the key word here, and I mean, for, it's not easy to create a community if you're a newer product. But if you can do it, it's really the most magical thing on earth. So Atlassian has a thriving community, and you see it with newer products like Notion and Linear as well, for that matter. They sort of built this community, and what it gives you is like a two way doorway. So all of the members of our Atlassian community are like you know, brutally honest in, in a really nice way. And we like, we have a tiered system. Any launch, we will, you know, go through different marketing levers that we might pull, but community is is always there regardless. So we launched a new like medium-sized feature or a small to medium-sized feature last week with story points in Geo Product Discovery. And for us, what we do is we just post in the Atlassian community and we have like a huge amount of people that are in there and they follow the channel and they get a little email that says, you know, okay, I see what's going on here. It's, you know, it doesn't get in their grill. It's not something like an email that gets lost in the inbox. Um, and what we can do as well, what we usually do is um, link to the community post with a, a guide in product. Uh, we use Pendo for that. Pendo is, is one of my favorite tools. Um, and what that allows us to do is, you know, not, not just promote the feature, but it actually starts a two-way conversation because you have your blog post saying, you know, here's what we've released and here's a video showing you how to do it. And maybe we have a webinar coming up or whatever, but there's a comment section at the end and people are like, well, you know, I like this, but this is no use for me because there's only 10 people or, uh, you know, I can't use this because I don't have the paid edition or whatever it might be. They might just pull out something that we hadn't even thought about, uh, even though we would, you know, obviously gone through rigorous testing with all these guys. I think it just gives you that ability to sort of continuously improve, which I guess continuous discovery is what it's all about, you know, put the feature out there, see if people use it, but then continually improve on it. You know, where is there room for improvement? And that goes for products, but I think it also goes for marketing as well. You know, we'll, for example, we put out the new product tour for the new website for Jira Product Discovery and just ask our community. And, and as ever, they were just like, you know, we like it, just cut out all the marketing jargon here, here, and here. And it's like, fuck, I missed that one completely. So yeah, community, I think is, is the magic route for me. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, Ashley, what about you? My magic sentence, <laughs> I cannot nail it to one word, uh, would be don't make the users think. So recently we really like to use short videos or like animation skills to really show what is the change and what is the new thing. And also what's the action that users need to take to, to use the tool. So really keeping it simple so that when they see it, um, they don't have to think, okay, how do I use it? What do I need to do now? And just really, um, make it really simple. So people don't have to think and not overcomplicated, but also want to, uh, echo what John was talking about the continuous improvement, because another tip that I can give is that we. Uh, we like to send out in-app surveys after, like, after people have used it after the first adoption uh, with user snaps microsurvey, of course. And what that does is not only collect feedback that allows us to continue to improve, but also make the users aware that this is a 
this is just the beginning of the journey that there is, uh, we're looking to improve, there is going to be something new and they can contribute to that. And I think that also slowly builds up, I don't know if a community yet, but like a trust factor as well. And also make users be, be willing to try out the next time when there is an improvement and be engaged. In addition, you made me think, as you were saying, Ashley, as well, with the idea of like, don't make them think is, is like smart and, and obvious, and we often forget it. Uh, so I want to give it like a shout out to a, a piece of software that we use. Uh, and we're going to start to use a lot more called Arcade Software, which is like a, like a click-through demo where the customer can see whatever the feature is and just click through it without having to go into the feature itself. And then the benefit as well for you as, you know, on the marketing side, you can see the analytics, you can see where people are clicking and where they're getting stuck. So it's a bit of a, like a very quick way for you to see like where they're, like how they're going to use the feature and where they're getting stuck. It's really handy. So I'd recommend giving it a go. Thanks for your answers. All right. So we actually got the, uh, like the comment on that previous question. When should you focus on building a scalable product tech wise? And the comment is during the discovery phase, you need to be agile and adapt to ever evolving requirements. Most teams end up incurring a lot of tech debt and build something that is either not scalable for a bigger team or is extremely expensive to continue to work on. Uh, should you consider that an MVP and start build the real thing after product market fit or do you build on top of it? All right. So can we answer that question? <laughs> well, yeah, yes and no, I suppose. Uh, I personally, I, I don't think I'm qualified to answer, but uh, our head of product, Tongi, spoke at an event in Berlin last year, and it was essentially how we built Geo Product Discovery. It's, it's on YouTube. I think it's called How We Built Geo Product Discovery. And he talks about this and how we just did not worry about tech debt until we got to a certain stage. It was important, I think, that we kept on, you know, building features that customers were asking. And like that took priority for a long time until, until it didn't. And that was when we were really close to GA and, you know, it's, we already had thousands of customers and everything was rosy, but it was only then when we sort of said, okay, now it's time to look and make sure this product is completely scalable. And I think that's a, a tough decision to make, you know, you're balancing that tech debt with new features and like, when do you do it? When do you make a call? And, you know, in some ways you pay the price a little bit later if you are successful because you're scrabbling and you're trying to play catch up and you're spending, you know, you maybe have two squads that are working on tech debt instead of building new features, which is a pain and they're working on performance. But it, again, it's kind of a champagne problem because you're successful and because you've gotten to a point where you need to make it scale. If it isn't successful, you don't really have to worry about it that much. Uh, so that's an answer from uh, a non-technical person. But again, I'd really recommend just going to YouTube and see how we built your product discovery with Tongi Croissant. Okay, Ashley, do you want to add anything to this? I agree. This is a, a question more for the product manager itself, um, somewhat more technical. However, I can think of and use a snap. So obviously, we're also more keen on like pushing out the features, making sure this this product is good enough to use. Mm, however, I think there is also, um, I don't know if this is correct to put it, but kind of a break that the product team can take while the marketing side is really, is not talking about new features, but just talking about new use cases or different ways that you can use the product. So there's no um, pressure on releasing new things, but trying to educate the users in a different way. 
And then this is maybe like kind of a cool down period where uh, the product team can catch up on the debt. We, we should do We should make it an annual event, the cool off period for product managers where we just, you know, focus on a new persona or something and they all go on holidays to Hawaii together. That'd be quite good. We can sponsor it. <laughs> That's a great idea. All right. Maybe we can squeeze one more in because I guess this is something that a lot of product marketers uh, would be interested in because of the uh, all, all the hype with the AI. So as a, a product marketer, which AI tools do you use daily? Not do you use AI tools, but which do you use? Because <laughs> let's accept it. We all do that. So John, what about you? Yes, AI. What a, what a week. What a week. I've, I, I've, I feel like I'm addicted to a, a, you know, the bold and the beautiful. Okay. It's been the greatest drama. I, I just cannot wait for the Netflix version of all of this. I'm lost in my drama. I forgot. Yeah, yes. So, I mean, the, the first one, Atlassian AI. So we've launched our own AI a few months ago. And it's it's like, it's unbelievable how quickly the team turned it out and got this going. And I think Atlassian is one of those companies that's really like, going to be at the forefront of this because there's so much useful data in there and there's so many tasks that people need to do. I mean, it's a work management tool. So the more AI can jump in and help, uh, the better it is. ChatGPT is my best friend, uh, literally, which is probably a bit sad, but there you go. I use it religiously for everything, like everything, grammar, ideas. If I'm asked to review work, I'll, you know, I'll use a prompt like, you know, act like you're a 12 year old trying to decipher what this blog means and give it a score out of 10 or whatever it might mean. So they're the two biggies that I use every day. And the third one is a really simple that I use called, make sure I get the name right, Audio Pen. Yeah, Audio Pen. And so I, I tend to go into these like deep work blocks for like four hours where I'll just go like into it in, in an intense, weird spot while I'm working. And then I'll go for a walk to sort of decompress and let all the ideas sort of flow through. And in a past life, you know, I would either just take a voice note when these ideas would bubble up in my head on the walk, or I would type into my email drafts or whatever it might be. Audio pen, it's, you basically put a voice note in and you let your rambling thoughts just go and, you know, you sound like a mad person and then you press stop and it takes all of that audio and it puts it into a concise human language and emails it to you. So when you get back to your desk, it's like, here's exactly what you were trying to say, I think. And it's unbelievable like it's spot on the amount of ideas i've had that have come from that uh such a simple tool so good oh wow thanks for sharing that's what i'm going to do starting today mm. uh <laughs> ashley what about you what ai tools do you use i think the ones that i use daily are really the ai assistants that are um in the products i'm already using such as like in doom grammarly and and sapphire as well so those are the ones I use daily. And one tool that I can recommend is called Grain, which is a, a user interview or like a meeting recording tool. And what is really good is that it not just transcribes, um, but it also highlights the key points. And it's really, really intelligent in terms of highlighting the right things, even more efficient than me very often. And, and yeah, especially like looking across just many, uh, many interviews and, and finding the key points and summarizing that and make it also shareable because at the end, it needs to be something that you can, you can take it with you in the long term. So grain is one that I really love and all kudos to all the other tools that are developing AI as well. 
All right, thank you. Okay, I think we, we don't really have time for any other questions, but it's been great. I mean, thank you for all the insights. Thank you for sharing the hacks and uh, what you've learned uh, with building and uh, working on product marketing for your particular products. The comments are great. I mean, everyone loved you guys. I did too. So thank you for much, so much for coming here and uh, yeah, happy to do it again sometime. Thanks for having us, it was fun. Yeah, thank you, Anna. Sure. Thank you, John. Anytime and take care.